Welcome to the Cricket's Sidecar, where we go a little further into a story of note with the person who wrote it. Hi, this is Chris McGinn, the feature writer at the Manchester Cricket. I am here once again with Mark Stoll, our beloved bookseller here in Manchester who writes pieces for us regularly. They're always interesting. And we are sitting in the bookstore for the first time, which is one of my favorite spots, period, which Mark will never, ever, ever... <laughs> Apparently he's going to die here. <laughs> and his most recent one used uh, one of my favorite words, serendipity, to talk about how sometimes things come across his, I guess you could call it a desk, and surprise him. So, hi, Mark. Yellow. So, little column was about serendipity and finding books, but it's also about the German word fingerspitzel, which means, <laughs> like, you can put your finger on it. Hmm. And I feel like... I have very strong finger spitzule with books because I've seen a hundred thousand of them. Like when I first opened the store, you know, I was like, I worked here nine to eight, seven days a week for like 12 years. And so it just wars you down to like your core and it's just about books. And you're just like, oh, but then you have a feel for it. You can just like, almost like look at a book and be like, oh, and then there's something in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, I've vaguely heard about that. What is that? And then you're like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I'm going to look at that. And then a lot of times that book is a gem. Like recently, mm. there was a book called Outlaws in Vietnam. Okay, so wait, your experience with this initially was uh, that that whole it, it came magic in. bit happened? And you were it like, came in and it was in a big uh, pile of books I bought. I cleaned out someone's house. And then I looked at it, and the thing I find with war books, which are fantastically interesting in themselves, is I don't want the historian's perspective. I want the participant's perspective. Okay. And so memoirs of war and first-person accounts of war are so much better. And I know that. I learned that from all the, and they're all guys, who come in and buy war books. And they're always after the first person accounts. They're always after the diaries. They're always after that Makes stuff because so they're sense. like, that's the most interesting thing. A historian, you know, summing it up and going with the overall view. This like takes you right there and you get the experience of a, you know, someone who really went through it and you get the variety. You don't just get the general, oh, the general made a flanking movement. Great. You get the person who had to go there and risk their life and... It was so awful and what they what they meant. And so this one, Outlaws in Vietnam. So first of all, I was like, what is Outlaws in Vietnam? Was it Were these like a criminals that were like in Vietnam in a thing? Because they had those okay. uh, in different wars where like they could they would take prisoners and they're, hey, you want your freedom? Go to the front. And okay. uh, but this is not their helicopter uh, combat unit was called the Outlaws. Oh, okay. And then this guy whoever David Eastman is. Who is local and signed it, apparently. Yes, and that's a that's a great publisher. You can, a lot of times, publishers are very good. This guy publishes New England books, Who, oh, New England. Peter Randall, and okay. they're universally excellent. Oh, that's good to know. And so, so I started reading it, and it was just unbelievably superb because he talks about the, the basics of how he got drafted and what happened. He was in Oklahoma. Okay. And they read a manifest. And if your name is on it, you go to the next base to wait. And then you, so typically it's like San Francisco to go to Vietnam. 
And then in San Francisco, you wait in the basin every morning, they read a manifest and your name's on it. You go to like Hawaii or Japan. And then in Japan, they read a manifest and then you go to Vietnam. Wow. And so that was fascinating, just the waiting and just his anxiety. And he had got drafted and he had to wait six months. He deferred it for six months because he wanted to work and save up some money because he got a good job on like an oil rig in Nebraska. But then within that, they develop these relationships with their comrades and stuff like that. And they take incredible risks if their comrades are in danger and stuff like that. And so it's really beautiful, amazing stories. When I read the Boston Globe and it had summer reading on there, and then the mystery writer, Walter Mosley, said the most profound thing. He's like, I'm so careful with my book choices because I've only got so many books I can read in my life and I don't want to read any duds. And I was like, oh my God, I only have so many books I can read in my life. That stinks. And so. I, I can't say I've ever known anyone that probably reads more than you. I mean, the number of books. Okay, you're right, but you still have a long ways to How much of a book do you have to read to say you've read it? Oh. Because Maybe it was always the whole book. Well, and I'm, mm. there were all these um, grad students from William and Mary in here, and they were history grad students, and I was talking to them about books and things like that. And, um, you know, they get assigned this enormous amount of reading within a semester. And so they said one of their tricks was they read the first chapter, the last chapter, and then the first and last yeah. page of every chapter. I've read like the first third of the Cameron. I got it. Uh, I don't need to read more about the plague. Right. We should talk about the two books that you did write about in, in your serendipity article. So Johnny Ive, that was a serendipitous book because it just came in and I was like, oh, interesting, whatever. We'll see if it's good. But when, I love it. Uh, it's that I've had this quote before by Dylan Thomas, but I love people's childhoods, reading about their childhoods. And uh, the Dylan Thomas quote is, I ask, I always ask people about their childhoods, and if they're not quick enough telling me, I end up telling them about mine. Nice. But um, so it starts off with his childhood, this, this designer who basically was the premier Apple designer and designed all their major products and is this unbelievable design genius. Right. And it was about his childhood. And the, the re, the, one of the things that's so interesting about his childhood was his father was a very talented designer who set up the curriculum of, they wanted to move design and uh, handiwork into the British curriculum. And he designed that, his father. Okay. And so he sort of had that going on in his household the whole time. Okay. And then another interesting thing was how, I always thought like American colleges, because there's so many and they're so rich and so many more people go to college in America versus Britain and Britain it's like, the top 1% get to go to college. In America, it's the top like 70%. Right. Um, but apparently for design, there are these like technical colleges, both in Britain and Australia that are just like unbelievable. And that like, when they got the team together at Apple that like made all these unbelievable world shattering achievements, they were all like British and Australian from these technical colleges. And so he went to this uh, technical college, which I'm not gonna remember the name of, but it's uh, very north of England, rainy and dreary, but superb like education and, and anything. And so his development as a di designer was so fantastic. And then uh, Apple's recruitment of him was so 
interesting. And then when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, the two of them were like peas in a pod. And then they sort of took over and so it's like, oh, engineering has to fit into design, not design into engineering mm. and created this whole world and this whole ethos. So that was fascinating. And then the other book was also, I think, uh, that one I had heard, I had mixed up this guy's name, I think is Joseph Epstein. Yeah. But I had mixed him up with someone else by that name who was an economist who said at the beginning of the pandemic that only 500 people were going to die. And I believed him. <laughs> and I told all my friends that. Okay. And they all mocked me <laughs> for that. So a book of his came in and I was like, oh, this guy. But well, it wasn't that guy. <laughs> it was uh, a different guy. And I just read an essay. And essays are hard to do to make them interesting yeah. and to do it. And I, I was like, wow, this because it was so chatty. So, and on the front of the book was a quote by Philip Larkin, I, uh, the poet. And I was like, what is Philip Larkin uh, quote, you know, having a blurb right. on this guy's thing. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. So I read an essay and immediately it was charmed. And one of the thing about these essays, a lot of them were about his impending end of life and how that focuses the brain and he had open heart surgery and he had an essay about that and how he did, he's like, oh, with my luck, this isn't going to work. And, and then when he woke up from that, how he felt and what it meant and what reading means to him and learning and how he spent his life. And, and he always goes back in every essay to his great childhood in Chicago, mm. which is like one of the, he was in this great neighborhood and they were always like outside running and they were always oh. like doing these things and going to the movies and starting up little businesses. And oh, it was nice. just this really, uh, you know, one of those great city neighborhoods. And he's always referencing that and coming back to that. And it's very like chatty and personal. So uh, I was in Lenox and Lenox has this great bookstore. I just think it's called the Lenox bookstore. And it's all new books. And I had heard about uh, Nausgaard because uh, everybody was talking about him. And I was like, uh, the modern Proust. And then they had it in there. And then I picked it up and I just flipped to a page and I read it. And I was like, wow, that's different than anything I've ever read. Um, I'll check it out. And so I discovered it that way. There it is. And that was great. There it is again. So yeah. no accident. I don't know. <laughs> I think that, I think that there's, it, it's sort of like, that blink, Malcolm Gladwell, sort of, there's a bunch of things at work that we don't even understand. All right, I want to say, as always, it's been a complete and total delight to spend time with you going into all these places that we did not intend, but are just marvelous. So thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidecar. To hear more Cape Ann stories like these, subscribe to the Sidecar podcast from thecricket.com on your favorite podcasting platform.